Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It was just a nice little pause, wasn't there? That was fun. Welcome to the New Town Theatre. Please welcome a man who is worried that Al Murray might be the new messiah. It's Richard Herring. It's a podcast recording, right? Some people get confused. We're recording a podcast that will go out tonight, uh, uh, hopefully. Uh, it's Richard Herring's Leaving Second Trimester podcast. Uh, it's in a sort of metaphorical sense, so I am putting on some weight as well, which I'm hoping will disappear after Edinburgh. Uh, it's, it's a long slog. This is the second week over. There's one more week to go. I've already booked a hotel in Carlisle for the drive home on the night of the last podcast. <laughs> Just to try and break. I've got to drive home with two young kids. Fucking hell, it's going to be a nightmare. But I, I, was, I was talking to uh, Ned Ryson on my walk here. He, every day, he, he, you know, Ned Ryson is an insurance salesman. Uh, he's, every day is the same place as a bit of a puddle in the pavement by where he is. Uh, to be honest, he's getting on my nerves. I want to punch him in the face one of these days. But he, uh, he calls it Rahalastapa. It's quite an obscure reference and very few people got it. Good, but... Uh, and on my walk here, most of my material, I, 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 all my Edinburgh is, is walking here and walking home again and looking after kids. Uh, on my walk here, I passed a, fo- a big poster of Al Murray, who's no longer on at the Edinburgh Fringe, but leaves his posters up to taunt the rest of us. <laughs> uh, and the one just coming down to Grass Market, down from Greyfriars Bobby, down that little windy bit, uh, it's got bl- genuine blood coming out of his eyes. <laughs> and either... Someone was just happened to be bleeding near to that post. Thought, oh, I know what I'll do. This will be a good use of this blood. I'll just put that. Which would be quite, you know, unless it's someone else's blood. Uh, or Al Murray is Jesus. It's one of it's, those are the only two options. I'm going to start worshiping just in case. Um, uh, a, a terrible sleep last night. Uh, had a, a awful. So it's, it's like a sleep deprivation experiment. This. It'll either make me brilliant or terrible, so fingers crossed, hey. <laughs> fingers crossed how it's going to go. Um, the news, in the news, um, uh, there's people ringing 999. I used to do a routine about this, people ringing 999 for bad reasons. You've got, you should only ring 999 for an emergencies. Uh, and there's 101, isn't there? You can ring as well, something like that. Uh, which again, you should only use for police business. Someone rang 999 to say, I bought a chicken yesterday, I just opened it and the smell is putrid. If I pay the petrol, will you send a car to help me take it back? <laughs> they said no to that guy. Uh, someone else had seen a dog with some missing fur. Uh, rang 999. I reckon if you rang 101 with that, I think they'd give you short shrift. But there you go, that's, uh, that's what's going on in the news. I always like that when that comes up. Uh, I felt like there was something else I wanted to talk to you about. Um, oh, uh, uh, I mean, this is just boring uh, stuff my daughter said. But um, I, I was trying to... I was trying to trick my daughter. She came home from the park just now, literally just before I came out, and uh, there was two donuts in the fridge, and, and she's come back and she'd been promised a donut. I went, oh, sorry, I ate, I, while you were out, I ate both the donuts. Uh, which is believable, to be honest. I've eaten so much sugar. Uh, and uh, she went, no, you didn't. She said, and I said, I did. She said, if you eat two donuts, you'd be sick. So I know you haven't eaten the donuts. I said, I did. And then my mum got them out. I hadn't eaten them. And she said, and I said, see, I tricked you. And she said, uh, I didn't trick for it, mate, she said, is what she said. <laughs> I didn't trick for it, mate. Really aggressively. I didn't trick for it, mate. I'm gonna <laughs> That's my new catchphrase, I've decided. So my first guest today, uh, thank you so much for coming along, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed. We've got two terrific guests. Only one of them's here, uh, but uh, <laughs> she may be on for a long time. Uh, the other one is dropping off a baby somewhere. I mean, hopefully with another human being, not just, <laughs> not just off of the <laughs> castle tenements. Um, my first guest no one could blame you at this stage of the fringe uh, my first guest today is probably best known for being the Bathgate Rotary Club Young Musician of the Year 2001 it's Fern Brady ladies and gentlemen she's one of yours yeah. She's one of yours. She's from, she's from Edinburgh. Bathgate. Bathgate. Yeah, not Glasgow. No. Which everyone, I live in London and everyone thinks I'm from Glasgow. Because you're so aggressive. That's, why, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, but I'm five foot ten and I look healthy, so. Sorry. <laughs> 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 
must be Edinburgh. So tell us all about the uh, winning the Young Musician of the Year for the Bathgate Rotary Club. What do you, what do you play? Piano. Mm-hmm. Grade six to maybe grade seven. Right. I had a year off the fringe last year and I got a piano and started playing again. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did do a gig in Bathgate. Uh, a couple of years ago where I bombed really hard and I think it was because I decided to open by saying I was Bathgate Rotary Club's Young Musician of the Year. (laughs) I was like, you probably recognise me from this. (laughs) And then they hated me so much that I got taken out the back of the theatre and then there was a woman out the front outside going, she was shite! She was shite! (laughs) It was horrible. The genius is never recognised in their own hometown. Oh, that's tell me about it. Like, that's like, look, look what happened to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Technically in his own hometown. But uh, it's, uh, it's the same basic thing. Uh, you've got a very remarkable teeth, if I may say so. I've said that very carefully, given the top you're wearing. Uh, you've got very remarkable teeth. It's on your poster. Have I? Because I've just had braces and stuff, so your poster, I walk past your poster every day, and I just... Because your teeth are so... You know, it's a large poster. Well, I'd had them whitened yeah. for that, yeah. I wondered if there'd been some airbrushing in there. No, I'd, I'd had them whitened, okay. but not now, and I've not really been brushing my teeth this French either. <laughs> so it's a bit... Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, good. Mm. Good teeth. <laughs> I'd go see the show based on the teeth alone. They're very healthy teeth. If you go past that poster as much as I do... I've, sp- I've spent a lot on them, so yeah. thanks. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so tell us about the show. Is it a two- toothpaste show this year? Well, no, I'm grimacing in my poster because women get told to smile all the time, so that's why I'm sort of grimacing into it. Also, I don't like having my photo taken, so um, I was trying to think how I could relax for the photos because I always look quite constipated in poster photos. And then I had some, uh, like, ecstasy in the house left over from my 30th. <laughs> and I don't know why everyone that I've told this to acts like this is really odd, but to me it just seemed practical. I saw a picture of myself on ecstasy on my 30th, and I, I never like pictures of myself, and I thought, I look radiant. <laughs> I look radiantly beautiful because I feel happy on ecstasy. Why don't I take that for my poster? And then I thought, oh, I won't tell my agent or the photographer because they'll be, like, basic bitches about it. <laughs> so <laughs> when we were doing the photo shoot, I went and took the uh, drugs and then I came back out and within minutes, like, my eyes were like saucers and they, yeah. start, they were like, whoa, these are great shots. And, <laughs> and then I remember the makeup artist hugging me to leave and I just was like, she feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> And then my agent went to hug me as well. I was like, don't touch me. <laughs> I don't want to feel that way about you. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that but I got good posters from it. Yeah, you did. So. It's, it's, a very, it's a very remarkable shot. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. I'm going to try Cheers. that. I'm going to uh, do heroin for my next year's poster. <laughs> first, I'm going to have a first crack at it. <laughs> as if I'm ever coming back here. Uh, so... <laughs> um, this, what have I written down here? Uh, August, uh, oh, th- uh, this is, uh, this is uh, a tweet from August the 12th of yours. I can tell I'm having a good fringe, because yesterday was the first time I nearly cried uh, and told the audience I was going to kill myself after the show. Every other year it happens day three. Incredible progress. <laughs> how, yeah. how, are you, how are you feeling? How are you, you've got laryngitis, I know. You t- uh, so that's yeah, not great. My, f- my voice went completely earlier this week, and... Uh, I thought I was going to have to cancel the show, but you can't really do that. So I went to, I went to a p- private GP, which I've never done before because I'm not like posh or that. <laughs> but that was the only way I could get like, these steroids to get my voice back. So that cost a load of money. Then I went to the show, and I kind of, I don't know why I thought the audience would be like, oh, thanks so much for doing that, friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, I, and they were just ungrateful cunts. Can I say, like, I just looked at them like, I wish I'd cancelled. Um, <laughs> it's weird when people who work like eight or nine hours a day, ten hours a day, kind of resent people who work for... 20 for minutes what? to an hour <laughs> taking their life's tough it's weird because they don't know how hard our lives are for yeah, I never, uh, taking I mean, I never ecstasy for a part of our job they don't know <laughs> they don't know how to be drunk the whole time they don't know how hard it is <laughs> that's a fair point they were just like entertain us jester but um, 
Aye, so I got one. Aye, so the day that I was um, telling the audience I was going to kill myself, the booker from Conan was in, so... <laughs> Farewell, American dream! Now, you, had, you have had, talking of America, you did, did one of your TV shows, you did a show called Radges, uh, which was a PBC. Oh, I. Did that, was, there, was there some talk of that going to America? Or did, was the yeah, they're making it in... <laughs> Snapchat are making it into a thing called Bad Kids in the San Fernando Valley. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's happening? Apparently, wow. but those things take like ages yeah, yeah. to go through. That's good. Uh, I, I, I. <laughs> um, what was the other thing I was going to see about crying? I had my lowest point of the fringe last night where okay. I, um, I've only just started getting recognised by for comedy. I think it happens a wee bit more during the fringe because of posters and stuff. Um, so last night I just wanted to cry after the show but I didn't want people to be like oh there's that comedian <laughs> crying <laughs> so I just sat in a toilet in a pub and cried for about an hour because what happened right I'll tell you what happened to the show last night there's loads of warnings on my show about uh, scenes of sexual nature scenes of violence loads of swearing all these warnings so that people don't come and get offended by accident and I do uh, pro-choice jokes and abortion jokes. They've largely been going well. Then last night, there was a pregnant woman in the audience <laughs> who treated my abortion jokes as if I wanted to kill her baby there and then. <laughs> and just sat looking at me, rubbing her belly. <laughs> <laughs> and it was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. She'll come back in a couple of years' time and go, now I want to kill it as well. So well, I'm like, it's a lovely time when you're pregnant. You think it's going to be great, <laughs> especially if it's not you that's pregnant. That's the best. That's the best. <laughs> so you're rooted to comedy. I, I don't know if this has ever actually happened before. I mean, I know you were working as a journalist and you're working on Fest magazine mm-hmm. uh, or paper. I, I looked up to see if you ever re- reviewed me, and I don't think you have. So no, it would be great if you had. The only two people I've given bad reviews to, I've said had awkward run-ins with. And well, yeah, they remembered. Oh, they remembered. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Because I don't think I'd remember who reviewed me in Fest. No offence to Fest. But, uh, no, I never, I never reviewed you. No, um, good. But you did the thing that every journalist, uh, that happens uh, every Edinburgh, which a journalist decides to have, a, I'll have a little go at doing yeah. stand-up comedy to see what it's like. And the, the article is absolutely excellent compared to most of the articles that people did. Because you had quite a good gig by the sounds of things. Well, not uh, the thing is, I wanted to be a stand-up for ages before that, so mm. I was kind of hanging around comedy, but I was really shy before I did stand-up. So, and any t- if you're a girl as well, like ten years ago, if you said to people, <coughs> "I want to do stand-up," like my family just treated it like they thought I was mentally ill <laughs> any time <laughs> I suggested it. Whereas you hear of there's so many men in stand-up where their wives or girlfriends enter them into competitions and encourage them and yeah. there's really none of that if you're a, a girl no. um, so it was only because Fest kind of accidentally it was just coincidence that they said will you do this article where you try stand up yeah. that pushed me into it I quite like the articles you go to Matt, Matt Kirshen uh, the comedian oh, and, say, yeah, yeah. and say tell you what you're doing and you go oh not at this again this happens every year journalist yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you mentioned that in the article which I think is quite cool but like nearly always the, the, the journalists will fall foul of finding out how, how difficult it is, but you actually did well and decided to take it up. So that is, yeah. I reckon you might be the only person in the world that's ever happened to. Yeah, I just did an interview with a Sun journalist that right. was like, oh, I'm, I'm actually going to uh, try stand-up for an article next year. And he said it like it was the most original thing ever. <laughs> and he said, because everyone in the office says I'm funny. And I was like, I said, Simon that's not going to be the thing that gets you through stand-up. What you need is, ideally, a dead mother, a father that's always ignored you. Those are classic comedy yeah. ingredients. Yeah. Or a neurotic mother. Yeah. And then you need to have been an ugly child or bullied at school or strange in some way. That's going to be the thing that creates the narcissism that gets you through years and years of people booing you off stage in um, Essex. Which of those did you have? You, I mean, you had, quite a, you had a sort of troubled childhood. Not trouble, I just had a moustache and glasses and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was really geeky and um, I I wore like really unusual clothes and everyone at school called me a hippie because my mum, like, we always like ate loads of unusual fruits and uh, (laughs) (laughs) eating fruit in Bathgate was quite weird. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, just uh, was a weirdo at school. Oh yeah, I went mad. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I got put. <laughs> I, that's in my show this year as well. Yeah, then when I was 16, I went mental and got put in a mental unit and had like a skinhead girlfriend. Okay. I can't believe I've forgotten about this because it's literally <laughs> talking about it in my show every day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different... But to me, it's just like a normal part of, you know, you know how it goes in yeah. your teens. You get put in a mental hospital. But there's a great article as well. There's a great article, again, that you wrote for The Guardian about, about that. About, about oh, aye. Yeah, it's worth looking up. I don't, I'm not. We don't need to talk about it now if you don't want it. But it's. Uh, I mean, you can. But uh, you wrote. You wrote you written a sitcom about that situation. About that was what yeah. Raj's was. Oh, is it? Okay. Except the BBC mangled it and kept saying, "Oh, we can't make jokes about the mentally ill." And I was like, "But I am the mentally ill. Like, <laughs> you ever been in a psych facility? It's hilarious." <laughs> so um, they kept trying to change it so that it was about a unit for badly behaved kids. Okay. And that's what the American version is going to be. Oh, okay. But I, I don't care anymore. I don't get money. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. <laughs> oh, the, I, the, I, I didn't see this show, but I saw a little clip of uh, the trailer. You did a show called Brexit uh, Stage Left, which was... Oh, God, was right. this, so you were travelling around Europe to, to do gigs to Europeans, is that, was that what the, the, the gig was? Yeah, my friend Jamali, um, Jamali Maddox uh, did a series for Vice that was about, it's called Hate Thy Neighbour, where he goes and meets different racists in America, and then Vice wanted him to make a thing about Brexit, so they sent me, him, Alfie Brown and Sean McLaughlin round Europe doing gigs. It was the best job ever, because we were just like, getting filmed being on holiday. But they wanted us to talk about Brexit and also the... Oh, no, maybe can't say that. <laughs> Basically, like, the crew didn't... It wasn't very well planned, so they just would film us having dinner and then be like, guys, can you talk about Brexit? And we were like, none of us are economists or politicians. <laughs> so we were just trying to think of stuff to say about but, Brexit. Yeah. But it was, I don't think it was a very good programme. <laughs> You won't be asked back, it's fine. That's, 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 <laughs> it looked very interesting to me. The, the trailer made it look good. Oh, yeah, the trailer was the. If you just watched the trailer, yeah, yeah. it looked okay. amazing. <laughs> Let's ask some emergency questions. Let's see how these go. Uh, well, I'm interested to find out uh, have you ever seen a ghost? I can't decide whether you. Uh, yes. Have. Yes, okay. I should, I should have realised. In, in a, in a, uh, I was in a, a council house in Bathgate. Yeah. Because I don't know why... I put, oh, also, oh, my God, my house in Catford in London is haunted. Okay, and by what? This is crazy. And the way I'll tell you this, you will believe it's a real ghost. So, I live in a part of London called Catford. It's really horrific. There's loads of, like, murders and stuff. Yeah. The first night I was living there, I could hear ghosty noises. And I told my boyfriend, and he was like... Because in horror films, there's always one person who knows that the ghost there is there, and then another person doesn't believe you. And I said, I can hear ghost noises, and he was like, it's 4am, do not wake me up about the ghost again. <laughs> so I googled her address, and it comes, came up on Wikipedia that um, a, trans, a trans prostitute was... Sorry, I'm trying, making sure I word this correctly. A trans sex worker yes. in the 70s was murdered by a guy that wanted to hide that they were lovers. There's like, it's this whole famous thing, yeah. and uh, the ghost still haunts the house. Right. So I found that out by Googling my address after hearing ghost noises. Okay. And it's been in ghost books, so that's a real ghost, isn't it? <laughs> but you've only heard it making noises. It taps at the window and okay. stuff. It's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, from the outside or the inside? There's, uh, we've got like a utility room okay. and it's, it's not from the, it's a window, it couldn't be someone in the garden basically. Yeah. It's like, it could be that. Or it no, could it's be a window that. into my bedroom and the inside of the house okay. and the ghost is tapping at it. Yeah. Or it hits the walls as well. Okay. And what about in Bathgate? There was one in Bathgate as well you had. There was one in Bathgate. Like people, well, people always make out that ghosts are in stately homes, but it makes more sense that the most wretched spirits would be in <laughs> council houses yeah. in Bathgate. <laughs> yeah. That's true. There's a lot of famous people come from Bathgate, though. Um, now there is, yeah. yeah I've been following you. <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah. Uh, well, David look, Tennant? 
I found out Lewis Capaldi went yeah. to my school. Yeah, he did. Um, you say that Susan Boyle went was from Susan there. Boyle, yeah, everyone, yeah. Um, Susan Boyle, um, Ayla Fisher, that's married yeah, to uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. She's done well, isn't she? Yeah. She got out young when she left with just... Well, yeah, anyone... Same with David Tennant, I didn't believe he was from Bathgate because he didn't have the face, whereas, like... <laughs> I, get, I feel really protective of Lewis Capaldi and Susan Boyle because people <laughs> always go on about their faces and I'm like, that's just how everyone looks. <laughs> like, that's how we look. It's not our fault. Yeah. <laughs> you just look melted. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair enough. Well, like, Susan Boyle, it was so ridiculous what happened to Susan Boyle. Bit, like... The idea that someone who doesn't look like a singer could sing. Yeah. I mean, that's insane, right? I feel really, really... I think the whole thing that happened where it's really tragic because she's got Asperger's and yeah. uh, uh, can't cope with that sort of touring schedule and yeah. then the press would just, like, make fun of her for having meltdowns in airports and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, she still lives in the same house with her Donny Osmond bedspread and stuff. It's <laughs> a wee shame. And, uh, it's Sorry to bring down the tone there. Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible to bring the tone of this podcast down any further. You've raised it, if anything. Um, if you could take one item from any museum or art gallery in the world and take it home and keep it and it's yours, you're allowed one thing from any museum or art gallery, what would, is there something you would like to have? Yeah, probably a stuffed tiger. <laughs> <laughs> To be, as I say, in her piece from a living room. You could probably buy that on eBay. All right, enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably that. Still that stuff, Tiger. Yeah. I'd quite like a dinosaur if we were going to go down the natural history route. Quite like, a, you know, the, the skeleton. I'm not expecting a real Jurassic Park thing going on. I'll tell you what I would love. Yeah. Oh, my God. When they have um, preserved bodies of saints... Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd like that. Like one of those. Oh, I love that stuff. Or what's that? Um, what's that village where every year they dig up their dead relatives and walk them round the town? <laughs> I don't know what village that is. Is that in Scotland? <laughs> is that in Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, this is real. It's. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's somewhere in India or, or, or something. Basically, like every year. They dig up their dead grandparents, change their clothes, okay. have a chat with them, nice. and walk them round the town in a parade. Wow. It's so cool. You should look at it. It does look. It's a bit like Coco for the Disney film. Oh, I haven't seen so that they're, they're actually dead people coming back from the other side. But yeah, that's well, interesting. <laughs> I did not know about that. Um, and uh, let's go. If you, if you uh, had to choose between uh, having a tit that dispenses talcum powder or a finger... A what? A tit... A nipple oh. or a breast that can... It's got unlimited talcum powder and you can have as much talcum powder as you want. Don't I never make a talc- face about my talcum powder tin. As, as if you've already decided. It's a thing you can put on your feet to dry them up a bit. Or on baby's bottom. You might need it if you have a baby. Just dry there. yourself with a towel. I'm yeah. all, that all right, well, day. maybe that doesn't sound so good. But when you What's the other, other option? Uh, a finger that can travel through time. <laughs> but only your finger can travel. But it's still a tent connected to you, but your finger. Forwards or backwards in time. But how will that know? Because you can look through it there. It makes a, ho- a hole. It'll make a... Well, obviously the finger. Yeah, no, obviously, yeah. Did you question. make that up? Yeah, I did. <laughs> no, 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 no. Did you pick those two? I, did, I picked those two things. Well, the yeah. second one's yeah, much better. Yeah, chooses that. All oh, right, right. <laughs> Unless people have really sweaty feet in which they, in case they go for the talcum powder. You can market the talcum powder. You know, I've, the, I've been a lot more damp during f- uh, yeah, the fringe. Yeah. Like Edinburgh, you're just constantly clammy because I'm not are. used to this weather anymore. It's horrible here this year. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the clam is... The, I think this is the worst one since uh, 2008 or oh, nine. Okay. since she did the Hitler moustache. Yeah, that could be that. Yeah. You're blaming my moustache for bringing... I don't know, it would bring good weather. So what, what would you do if you had a finger that could travel through time? Ooh, I haven't got too long left. Why am I wasting my time talking about this rubbish? Uh, if you could travel through time with your finger, what would you do with your finger? To What would you change in the past or the future with just a finger? I'm interested to know. Oh, sorry, there's just so much. I'm glad you're thinking about it. This the most obvious thing is I would go back and not 
I would just say not to do two weeks of the festival, but that's <laughs> <laughs> so obvious. I mean, I don't know why we don't remember that when we do it. That's why, I, literally, I would love to go home tonight. Yeah. I would love to go. I no genuinely... offence to the audiences who are coming, the, sp- the sparse audiences who are coming for the last week. I don't want to, like, if anyone hears this and you want to see my extra show at the Pleasance on the 22nd, <laughs> I don't want to think I'm ungrateful, but... I did start to email my agent last night and say, what will it take to pull the next week of shows? Because <laughs> I, I can't do another one yeah. to these people anymore. Because um, I, 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 I don't know what people want from me. Yeah. I don't know why some of them come to... I've had people come into the shows just because they went to school with me and it was like people that didn't like me at school. Yeah. Why do they come? That's a, it's a recurring theme of all the comedians I talk to. They have a story about so, someone who bullied them at school yeah. getting in touch on Facebook. Going, hey, it's me, Janine. Remember, we had a great time. And you go, no, you were a horrible brick to me. But every single person has that story. Yeah, someone That's who weird. threatened to batter me at school was yeah. like, oh, I saw you on telly. Uh, you look good now. Uh, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your face looks panned in from a hard life at Bathgate. I still hate you. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you'll get through the week. Uh, and so you've got an extra show. You've sold out all your other shows apart from the extra show. The whole run's sold out apart from we put on an extra show in too big of a room at the Pleasance Grand. So there's like 300 tickets left for that. Good. <laughs> you'll sell those. You'll sell. What's the show called? And are you gonna Power it? and Chaos. Cool. What, are you going to tour it so everyone can see you? Oh, God, team? yeah, I'm touring it. <laughs> Pretty much as soon as I get home, I've got three days off. Oh, I'm going to Denmark to do it, and so I can have a little holiday in Denmark, and then I'll start the tour in Crawley, <laughs> <laughs> and then Melton Keynes. Yeah, yeah that, that rings a bell. Those, those, those are good <laughs> tour venues. You'll have a lovely time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give a mass for a brand for Fern Brady! I'm hoping my other guest here now. Um, oh. So, thank you very much. Uh, just before we go I- into the second interview, I'll just re- uh, issue a reminder that you all got a free program at the beginning of the show. I hope you enjoy that. Um, it is a gift. If you feel like you'd give, like to give some money for that and then no, you're under no obligation, at the end of the show, we'll have some buckets out and uh, we'll make a collection for Scope which is a fantastic charity that helps people with cerebral palsy. If you would like to give to that charity, either find someone with a bucket. There might be a bucket on my little desk that I have as, I, as you go out. If, there is, if you can't find a bus- bucket, you can give me the money, and I promise I will put it in the bucket for you. <laughs> that is a guarantee. Uh, and uh, I am selling books and stickers uh, as, as you go out, and I'm very happy to sign your programme and do selfies, all that jazz. Uh, you don't have to buy anything from me. You can just say hello and just give me a little cuddle. And no, don't. What am I talking about? I'm happily. I just saw your face, and I just wanted a card. That's, that's just what I want. So, my second guest today. Oh shit! No, it's all right. I've got one. I, I haven't written. I haven't written a. She's best known for. And so I, I can just think off the top of my head and make one up from the last time she was on. So, uh, my guest today is. You know, I've said it before, but she is still best known for her appearance on improvisation, my dear Mark Watson. That's why we're here today. And I saw Mark Watson jogging past me today on the meadows, and I nearly shouted. You know, he went one way, and then he, he realised that was the wrong way, and he nearly went another way. And I nearly said, did you improvise that, Mark? Or is that, was that planned? <laughs> I have to bring it back. I'm hoping she's there. Is she there? Yes. OK, good. <laughs> we please welcome Josie Long, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Hi. I was expecting you to come up there, and then you came out there. Like, that's where the ghosts are. I saw some ghosts back there. Did you? Yeah. I was just playing with some prop babies. <laughs> you? They're uh, prop babies, and I was going to come out crazy. <laughs> and being like, it's my baby. <laughs> but I thought you guys would 
take to it. They'd have loved it. We were just joking about you throwing it off the top of the Edinburgh Castle, so uh, you know it would, have, it would have been a great callback to something you missed. That's a joy, isn't it? It is. <laughs> How are you? I'm all right. I haven't seen your fringe. No, I've just been fucking about with a baby. Yeah, me too. Time. I've been fucking about with two babies. Show off. Yeah. <laughs> One of them's more grown up now. So they get more fun when they're a bit older, Josie. My baby's already too fun. Yeah. It's good. No, it's when they start speaking and saying stupid stuff. Oh, it must yeah. be. I was playing football with my daughter yesterday. She's very good. Is she? I think she might play football for England if such a concept exists in ten years' time. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that there's no such thing as England in ten years' good. time. I hope that the whole thing is just Scotland. Yeah, I'd be thrilled. I'd take it at the moment. I'd take it. Uh, so, how have you been? It's, you, your show's about giving birth to a human out of your... Don't spoil it. They don't know yet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my show's kind of about... The way I would, like, pitch it to people is it's about how do you welcome someone to the world when everyone's telling you it's the end of the world and how do you talk about things where people have historically been like, how can you talk about a woman's thing? But how can you be like, no, this is really, really interesting and massive. Come and join in. Uh, Please come to the extra show booked solely out of hubris. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's nice to have extra shows. Uh, I, I decided not to have any extra shows at this, uh, just to keep the limited. Um, it's, and I was like, oh, why do I do more? Um, I do another one. Um, so, have you found? Have you found being a mum? Because this is—it's obviously a new thing. It's the baby's it's new. About eighteen months old. Is the baby? Uh, she's younger than that. She's like. Uh, I say on stage that she's 13 months, but spoiler alert, she's actually 14 months. Okay. Just create a distance from the fictional baby and the real baby. <laughs> That's a tough time. It is, it's quite brutal because yeah. they're basically a baby, but they're like as energetic and as emotional as a toddler. But at least toddlers can sometimes be like, I don't want milk, I want a biscuit. <laughs> Where she's just like, ah! <laughs> and I'm like, do you want this? Do you want this? And in the end, you're like giving her a key or a knife or something. You're like, just take it. It's fine. You're fine. Uh, but it's lovely. Like, um, it's been a real challenge because I'm just used to coming to the fringe on my own and yeah. like spending a luxurious afternoon having a swim and a think about my work. And I've just spent, you know, I've been to so many soft plays in and around Edinburgh. Which is the best soft play in Edinburgh? Just for my. This is just for me. Oh, guys. Let's not be sh- short-winded about this. Let's really go dive deep, because I feel that's what you're all here for. Now, we've been to the one on Restal Rig Road, and it's lovely. It's run by a really nice guy who's got a lot of ambition for the place. But let's be real, it's too small. We've been to the Tumbles soft play in Portobello. Now, we all know Portobello's a great destination for a toddler. You've got the outdoor park, you've got the seaside, you've got ice creams, etc. She's too young for ice cream, so I'm painting a picture. Um, <laughs> swear to God, the Tumbles soft play, totally fine. Which one is the best one? Wonderworld in Leith. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I think we went through that one last time we were here, yeah. Did you? It's massive. Yeah, it is very big, yeah. I feed my son ice cream. I think once you have a second one, you don't give it. <laughs> How old? really good with the first <laughs> one and the second one. Yeah, I've got another. How old is your little one? He's now uh, 22 months, so he's old enough to have ice cream now, but I was... I, I gave him, like, a Twix or something on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> he was about five months old. My wife was furious. <laughs> yeah, but it's a plane! <laughs> a plane is just... We've got to do whatever we can to get through this! Well, I feel really bad because I try not to sort of give the baby the, the phone. Ever. I, I don't want the baby to like the phone because I hate the phone, but I'm obsessed with the phone. And I want her to just be like, I'm a little natural elf and I live in the woods and I don't even know what a television is, let alone a phone. But then if we're like in, on a long drive, she just despises cars so yeah. much because she's a very right-on baby. Um, so then I'm like, just watch this one video of five little ducks for an hour. I don't know how our previous generations did parenting without iPads, I just, especially on a long journey up to Scotland. I don't know how they did it without I think they just iPad. played I Spy. That was yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I remember. I just remember what my parents used to... There was three of us, and they gave us a polo each, and whoever could make the polo last the longest won. <laughs> we fucking bought... I bought into that so hard. Whoa! <laughs> it was a great... What is the dynamics like between you and your siblings? Well, oh, they're what, older what, as well, so we're five and six years older than me. Of course so. you're the little yeah, one. So I was in the middle. I was the middle being punched. Oh, you were middle? Yeah. No, I was in the middle of the car. I was the, I was oh. the bottom. I was the underlip. And you were like, look, mummy and daddy, I've still got my polo. <laughs> my, my sister always won. 
If you had the, you? Had the patience to see it through, I would, I would always clutch it. Was she the oldest? No, middle. She's the middle. middle. She was desperate for the attention. She was. <laughs> That's very Amazing, sweet. I'm gonna, I'll try it with my kids on the way back. Might, might kill the little one. <laughs> oh, he's I'm kept try, it for two hours. Yeah, it's find, in his throat. I'm trying to find way. I mean, if he dies, I'm going to be in such trouble because I've, I've said so much on this podcast I want him to die. But if he does die, people are going to... Do you not worry about in 20 years him listening to it and being like, oh, I can't wait to see what my late father no. would have said. <laughs> I was going to say the joke will be on him because I'll be dead. Beat me to it, but yes... Uh, I, hopefully you'll have a good sense of humour. I made a tweet, like, something on the... When the day when my daughter was born, I tweeted, oh, because I'd done a joke about children being sexual excrement. I remember, I was, yes. And so I said, finally, we have some sex excrement. And then someone tweeted, said, what if your daughter reads that tweet in ten years' time and how will she feel? And I thought, well, A, I doubt she'll be scrolling back through 36,000 oh, tweets to find that so one. tired. Uh, and B... I hope I'll raise it to be the kind of person that has a sense of fucking humour unlike your, unlike your parents did. Well, it's like when people... People seem to get so upset about double-barrelled names, right? My daughter, we invented a surname for her, which my mum still cannot believe. She's like, that's illegal! I'm like, mum, it's not. We've done it. We've registered her at the town hall. No, no, they wouldn't let you do that. Mum, we've done it. But, like, everyone was freaking out about the potential that we might have a double-barrelled name. Like, right. they just couldn't cope. And they were like... But what if then she marries someone with a double barrel neck? <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe within 20 years we might have refined our patriarchal naming system so it's a bit more fun and everyone can chill the fuck out. <laughs> and if not, like go to Spain where everyone has four surnames, have a lovely time, they have a sleep in the middle of the day. <laughs> the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Be able to choose your favourite two as well, or two or three or one. You can say, I've got four surnames. I'll check There'll be no one called Herring left if you had that choice. Oh. If I had a choice, they'd be that I've foisted it on my kids. Do you not love Herring now? I do now, but it's a, it was a, it's it was a fun a, name. It was a tough journey. <laughs> how, how do you feel about people whose names are like Salmon? Not yeah. Salmon, Salmon. Salmon, yeah. Yeah, like other fish friends. Yeah, well, some of them <laughs> Some of them are except salmon is kind of acceptable. No one, if you do salmon, people don't go ah salmon. But uh, herring, herring have you ever fish, met? They do, don't they? I, I, uh, I met Alex Salmon, but that doesn't count. Have and you ever met knows. like any other fish names? Oh, I must have done this name. Um, a fish comrade. Well, what I what I think about Richard Herring is it sounds like a terrible comedy made up name. So when people say, "Is that your real name or is that your joke name?" Your, you know, your stage name. Do you think I would really make up Dickie Herring as, <laughs> as my comment? So I, I lose respect for the person asking me that. I wouldn't make this up. I wouldn't be called... Well, I know what would be funny. A fish. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some other stuff that's been going on. As we, I mean, we've talked about improvisation, my dear Mark Watson, before. We've had a great time. To about it, again. it is a crime that no one has resurrected that pilot. <laughs> we had a good time. Yeah, I'm still holding out hope, and I'm still holding out hope of uh, a Rahalastapa that, that, that reunites the cast of that pilot oh, where you really all get like together that. and we'll just interview you all together about your memories. <laughs> that's one of my. I think I mentioned this, and I mentioned Justin Lee Collins, and, you know, that's the kind of thing he used to do, and he tweeted about it, that. and Justin Lee Collins got in touch within 25 seconds to say he would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't added him in, he'd just seen his name. But uh, for the rest of the cast, that happened. He wasn't on it. Who was on it? No, Justin Lee Collins. No, but he does. It. He does bring back Grain Chill. Well, oh. he did bring back Grain Chill and bring back the A team. Something, something went wrong with the pucker pads, and uh, it's um, <laughs> it's a great advert for pucker pads, though. So. Uh, oh, do you God. still write to a uh, guy in prison who is a Black Panther um, activist? I, yeah, I still love him. I, 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 to my shame, I haven't written to him for a while. Okay. Um, due to the fact that you know the baby, and the baby I gets don't annoyed, do anything. Yeah, um, but I think of him often. How did it's, you get? How did you get involved in writing to? Oh, so I was doing some stand-up on stage in about 2009 about the fact that I'd just been very ignorant about what the Black Panthers were. Like when, like my general impression of them that I'd got through, like vaguely. A hearing of them was like, oh yeah, I think they were very inspiring, but weren't they a bit violent? Weren't they a bit violent? And then I watched a couple of documentaries about. Um, there's an amazing one about uh, Fred Hampton. 
Oh my god, I really recommend it. It's, it's so upsetting, but it's like he's just the most incredible man, and obviously was kind of um, like was murdered by um, the powers that be. And you know, the more you find out about the Black Panthers and what they started out doing, like they started out doing the most uh, like wonderful community activism like the first thing was a breakfast club and was becoming lollipop men because in their neighborhoods nobody bothered building any traffic uh, circulation and like oh my god it was just the most wonderful movement of people that genuinely made a difference in their community and were making these really important and righteous political points and speeches and then it felt like they were galvanizing something and then obviously they were like sabotaged and abused and suppressed and you know like so a lot of there's um oh my brain is so shit (laughs) there's three of them who aren't the guy I was writing to Kenny Zulu Whitmore is another man who was also wrongfully imprisoned and they just fitted them up and for murder charges that they obviously didn't commit and some of them like Kenny Zulu Whitmore were in solitary for decades for 30 years and so like things like that that's like inhuman torture of brilliant smart people who then have to spend their life just trying to uh, keep the sanity um, they're amazing inspiring people and I was doing this stand up about how basically I found out about them when I was like oh my god I, I can't believe what a fool I was not to know more and, and also just enjoying the way they speak because the stand up I had to do was watching a speech of Fred Hampton and he comes up and he says we, t- we say to pigs daddy I can't remember the next bit. Daddy, you will not hold us down. And I was just like, wow, like, imagine opening your speech. We say to pigs, daddy. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was a different time in terms of like hip vernacular. Yeah, yeah. And um, anyway, this woman came up to me, this artist uh, called Carrie Rickart, who's amazing. And she said to me, um, oh, I felt really overwhelmed when you were talking about the Black Panthers because I've been writing to Kenny Zulu Whitmore. And, and so then I wrote to him, and he was just amazing. And also, I was such a little twat because I was like really exhausted like having sort of had a bit of a political awakening in like 2010 2011 and then feeling so devastated when the university reforms went through and there was all the kettling of students and it's just such a shame and it continues to be like awful and very bad for our society and um uh i wrote to him was like how do you keep going and now i'm like fucking dick like oh excuse me I'm just a bit upset and you're in prison and how do you keep going anyway he wrote this like wonderfully um, kind and generous letter back talking about how you have to turn all, all your anger into positive action and you can do it and you've got to keep going and he, oh he's just a wonderful man like, he's incredible and friends of mine now write to him and still write to him often and yeah you should all write to him his name's Kelly uh, Kelly his name's Kenny Zulu Whitmore um, you can find his address uh, there's a free Zulu website that's got his current address because they move him around so that people can't find him I think I mean w- what's really embarrassing is since I've had the baby I've engaged so little with the outside world he could have been released and I wouldn't know <laughs> but if he has been released still write to him because he deserves yeah. celebration and joy and gifts and please send him things he's a wonderful I mean, don't all write to him we'll have a lot of letters to write back let's give him, give him a break Sod it all right to him, and then he can snub who he chooses. <laughs> this letter's dull. Um, I mean, you do lots of. You do, you've, you've been. I mean, yeah, recently you've been more political. You always had an element of, of, of social politics, I would say, in your in your work. But you did. You did well, tell me about the tour of um, the tour you did without having any the the, the alternative reality, reality tour. tour. Yeah. Oh, I've actually did a few of them. We did one in 2011 uh, where we basically we got this bus. And that's it. It was great. No. We got this van and me and Tom Parry and uh, my friend Grace Petrie and um, a few other people. We all went round and we just decided we were going to kind of perform in places that people slag off and show up. And the reason we did it was we wanted to see if it was possible to build a gig from scratch, arriving in a place, see what happened. But we also wanted an adventure and we wanted to get back because... I felt like for a couple of years I've been doing activism, but it was all like protests and like, Ugh. and I wanted to do something that was like, no, it's about joy and about trying to imagine a, a better world and have fun. 
and trying to like reclaim shit privatised public space. And so we went around 2011 for about 10 days and it was one of the best experiences of my life. We stayed with... Simon Munnery used to live in a stately home that he rented a wing of and it had its own private river. So we all went and stayed there and he was amazing, obviously, and we all swam in the river and we all swam in the sea. I mean, it was also an excuse for swimming for me like uh, and then we did those and I loved it then we tried to do one a year later in 2012 and it was all wrong it was like half the original people couldn't come and the tour manager couldn't really do it Um, a lot of people came on who were like this is great for my career and I was like no it's not (laughs) spoiler alert it is ruinous Um, and then we did it again in 2015 and I have a friend who's a journalist and author called Michael Segalov and it was how me and him kind of really galvanised our friendship it was so fucking great we did it together and um, just had a really lovely mix of people uh, yeah and we went round to the first one was in Trowbridge round the back of a shopping centre but it was also an alleyway that led to like a really intense muscle gym it's <laughs> like so, so we'd be trying to do the gig and it was mostly to like 13 year olds and then about once every three minutes this like insanely muscular guy would like toddle past we'd be like hi and we'd be like hello <laughs> um, it was great and I did people come because like yeah. you, li- you literally were just Deciding on where you were going to play when you got there and, yeah. and then handing out. And we would create the venue, so we would try yeah. and find things that were like natural or man made amphitheatres. So, like in Luton, we were right in the town centre. Yeah, loads of people come. We had between about like, the smallest crowd we'd have would be about 40, right. and the largest we'd have would be like 100, 150. And it would, the best thing about it was it was a proper mix of everyone in society, and it was the sort of people that my cardigan based. Um, humour would not necessarily attract and it, for me I was like without sounding too pretentious like I read a lot and I try and learn a lot about things like radical hospitality where it's like no this is free and we want everyone to come and we don't care if you know you're somebody who's a bit disruptive or a bit difficult like that's what we want and it was about trying to sort of cater to lots of different people and also give something away for free and we managed to get some funding I can't remember from what so basically every day we like bought 10 pizzas. And so a lot of time it would be 12 year olds being like, when is the pizza coming? When is the pizza? And I'd be like, just a little bit more of my humour. Um, but it was wonderful. I'd love to do it again. Um, like we went to Blythe, which is near Middlesbrough, but not Middlesbrough. Um, and that was, there was like these amazing like 12 year olds climbing over the top of this awning like while I was on stage. And like... I mean, it was fun, and it was challenging, and it was a weird thing to do. And then at the end of it, I made a show, and my dream was that we were going to document it and make a documentary and a, yeah. a, and a stand-up show about it, but I am not a very uh, marketable prospect, so uh, we've got all the footage. I'm also not very on it with footage. But you do so much stuff sort of off your own. I mean, you do things with, through traditional broadcasters as well, but you do... You made films yeah. yourself, and uh, yeah, I do it all myself a lot. Yeah, so you are incredibly organised, and also just get on with stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's just sad when something you love that you have actually got doesn't quite come over the finish line. I think yeah. we. So with the film, I, 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 we made a feature film, but it was my collaborator is a guy called Douglas King, and like I wrote it and acted in it. He like produced it, directed it, edited it, found all the cast, found all the location. So it's like, if you look at the split, it's like, oh yes, I wrote it. And then it's like, this man like did two years worth of work on his own. But yeah, I mean, it's very much my project propelled by me. Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, have you done that much acting before that? You've done a little bits and pieces, right? Bits and bobs. Yeah. Um, so I've, you remain part in a feature film, basically. Yeah. And you're very good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, That's very nice. I would love to be employed. Please, anyone. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we did it partly because um, we've been making films together for about nine, eight years. And we loved doing it. And we were just desperate to make a feature. And we kind of mucked up and wasted some time with some people who just kind of wasted our time. And then the way that I am, like, and I think you must be, like, with stand-up, it's like, but if I want to write a show, I can just write it and do it. Yeah. So, like, when you're trying to seek funding for other things, you're like... Guys, the idea is hot now. It's not going to be hot in two years. Come the fuck on. And so we just kind of met up at the start of 2016 and we were like, how can we make this happen? And we realised that we could kind of shoot for a week before and after a summer. 
So we were like, okay, well, how can we kind of put that into the plot? And we were like, okay, if, if it's about like a mumblecore film about a woman before and after a relationship breaks up, and then we're a bit like, fuck it, we're going to put a military coup in the middle. <laughs> and then we, we sort of plotted it in February 2016. And then we finished shooting the first half the day of the Brexit vote. Nice. And then we finished shooting the second half the day of the Trump vote. And with both of them, we were like, this isn't supposed to be a fucking documentary. <laughs> what the fuck is this? Um, and now we're like, we always like joke, because we're like, the next one we're going to be writing is about me and you winning millions of pounds and <laughs> having a Caribbean holiday and all that stuff. So I've known you for a long time. True. I, and like now it's weird, because I still think of you as like a very new comedian, but it's 20 years since you won the... One of the Edinburgh competitions. Yeah, one BBC New Comedy Awards, beating uh, David O'Doherty into yes. second place. Yeah, there's a there's a rivalry between the two of you over this. Uh, well, so for him it's a rivalry yeah. because he won the worst competition <laughs> and also obviously desperately coveted the BBC. Whereas for yeah. me, I just sailed through, won it, <laughs> and I, I, you know, that I'm like trying to egg this on, and this isn't I, like, like, <laughs> twenty years <laughs> on. Yeah. And you're both very successful comedians. Um, I don't know if you talked about this before, but I saw you talking about Bob Monkhouse at that. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that he, that's kind of again. That seems that seems bizarre that Bob Monkhouse was. Oh, it was such a the, weird competition. Yeah. So right, so the BBC New Comedy Awards now is a sort of Radio Four thing, and I think they organise it really well, and it sort of really focuses on the new comedians. When I did it, for some reason, the year I did it. They upgraded it from, like, a show that was on BBC Two to, like, a BBC One primetime show. But the way they did it was to, like, showcase the comedian, the action... What am I trying to say? So there was, like, a, a big competition final at George Square Theatre, right? 700 people. And each of us did a seven-minute set. Yeah. And there were, like, seven of us. So that's 49 minutes of material, right? They could have then done maybe 10 minutes of interviews around that. Instead, they cut all of the comedians' bits on TV to one and a half minutes and then just had loads of talking heads of famous comedians being like, don't be shit! (laughs) And then they booked the brand new heavies who in 1999 were a big fucking deal and they filmed them for like 40 minutes in the middle of the stand-up show and then didn't use any of the footage. <laughs> like, used like 10 seconds of it while they were like, the judges are deliberating while the brand new heavies are playing. But they never really played. They just kind of filmed them, like, it was so fucking weird. And they had like a big panel of celebrity judges. So they had Peter Kay. Wow, yeah, Peter Kay, who you all remember <laughs> from the 90s. It must be fun if he becomes a nostalgic thing. It would be good. That's yeah. a snake eating its own tail. <laughs> Someone would do comedy with that. Who remembers Peter Kay? It'd be best if it's him going, do you, who remembers me? <laughs> <laughs> and your mum would talk about me. And she would go to the shops and buy my video. <laughs> Peter Kay, Richard Wilson. Yeah. From, um, I don't believe it. Thank you. No, he was there, he was there. <laughs> 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 I think I'm the same age as Richard Wilson was when he got the party and like, one foot in the grave. That blows my mind. <laughs> I think he might, I might be older than he was. That's so bleak. Like, <laughs> well, Richard, uh, well done. You've got the part. You've officially got one foot in the grave. <laughs> Fuck me. Yeah, he might be. Should have started it with, like, dangling a toe in the grave. <laughs> yeah. Or, at the very least, as it progressed, up to the knee in but the grave. I tell you, the tabloid... Writers are just waiting for that guy to die. They're going to be so oh. happy when he's dead. <laughs> Two feet in the grave, that's where it's going to be. When he's dead. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. They will, they'll be so happy. I don't believe it. There'll be a picture of his skeleton with just two feet. Oh, I don't like the, it. That's what I don't it's like it. Don't blame me. Blame the tabloid writers. They're the ones who are going to do it. I'm just predicting it. He's too beloved by me. So there was like a lot of celebrities on the panel. It. Be, I don't believe it. Victor Melch, who has two bit in the grave. This is very sad. It's awful, isn't it? Those bastards. <laughs> don't, I don't wish to participate. So, and then Bob Monkhouse was presenting it, right? And it was very weird as well because, like, it was sort of a strange collision of different worlds because he was kind of doing, like, hello, it's me, Bob, you know? And then he was comparing us. But then, obviously, like, me and David O'Doherty were there, and, like, I came on stage, and the first thing I think I would say was, hello, 
my name's Frank LaBeouf and I play for Chelsea. <laughs> and then I would just stand there like, what a clever thing. I'm not Frank LaBeouf at all. Um, and I had like a thing on my tummy that was like a um, piece of paper that I'd drawn a goat on and written mother underneath. And I said, guys, I know it's a bit wrong and I know it's a bit naughty, but I've got a new tattoo. Do you want to see it? And then I'd be like, it's not permanent. <laughs> I mean, you can see why I won. <laughs> and then I'd have... A, there was a ready meal that I used to eat a lot called the Admiral's Pie. And it was like a box that said Admiral's Pie on it. And I used to have that hidden in the back of my trousers. And I used to go, guys, I'm sorry. I, I, I want a cruise. I want a place on a cruise. Uh, but I couldn't help myself. I'm a kleptomaniac. I stole the Admiral's Pie. <laughs> Brought the house down. Absolute. Brought the house down. I mean, people were reeling in their seats. <laughs> But it was, a really, it was a really mad experience for me yeah. because it was about my 15th gig. I was 17 years old. I was terrified. I was thrilled. I couldn't believe it. I was meeting celebrities. It was, like, wonderful. And we were staying for a week all together, all the finalists. And it was me and David and a guy from Wales who did a whole set about the Wombles, who was really alternative. Um, there was a really nice guy who became an actor called Mark Strong. And there was another guy who I don't know what happened to him, but again, was so nice. There was a couple of guys from the North who were a lot more like slick, clubby guys. And we were all in this flat having a really great time. And like, oh my God, I'm suddenly staying in this cool flat in Marchmont and like going to <laughs> delis or whatever. And I had French toast with bacon. Can you fucking imagine? <laughs> and my boyfriend at the time was up. And then I remember, like, after I finished, he came backstage and, like, really kissed me really passionately. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I just never thought I would win because, obviously, I didn't think I would win. I was, like, kid. And I... Backstage, I had loads of beers because everyone else was a man. And I was like, oh, can I have a drink? And then because it was, like, 1999, even though I was 17, they brought a bucket of Bacardi Breezers. <laughs> oh, I was fucked. Bacardi Breezers and two reefs. Do you know what I mean? Oh my God, I was in heaven. I was fucked. And then Bob Munkers came out and he went, no, you can't be drunk. You might win. I was like, Bob, I'm not going to fucking win, mate. He's like, listen, in my dressing room, there is a basket of fruit. You must go in and eat all of the fruit. <laughs> like me fucking wasted while the brand new heavies are coming and going. And then at the end, the footage is really sweet because I'm holding onto this sign that I stole from backstage. It says, Bibi. And then they, they announced who was second and third, and I was like, oh, well done. And then, then when they announced me, I was like... <laughs> but then what's funny is I don't look around. I just, like, stride out like I bring forth my destiny. It was really fun. It was good. And, uh, now you're a veteran of comedy. Well, I was, I was, you're a veteran. I was catapulted to overnight success. You were, yeah. But, like, 20 years? crazy, isn't it? It's crazy yeah. Now. 20 years has gone. Yeah. When you think I'm only 19 now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really odd. It's, it's weird and it's wild to think how clear you can feel the scene has changed in some ways. Yeah. Like how wonderful it is that I truly believe that no woman comedian will ever be asked by a national newspaper, are women funny? Or, oh, there's not many women comedians. Like that is gone. And yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, just... 10, 15 years of that shit <laughs> I had to endure. And that is a real thrill. Um, but at the same time, like, the discourse is so much more, like, fragmented and difficult in new way. You know, it's fascinating. And I really feel, like, thrilled that I've seen kind of, you know, what happens when you put your stall out and then people see your stall and are influenced by that and then so on, so on and so on. And it develops and, you know, as an art form, it just gets richer and more exciting yeah. and better and better. Yeah, I, I'm just—I'm actually kind of blown away by the stand-up comedy this, this year. It's just um, unbelievable. I think. And you've not even seen my show. I haven't seen your I just like—it's <laughs> actually—I haven't hardly seen any actual shows, but just researching people and seeing their yeah. stuff online, and, and it's just it's so much invention and so yeah. much talent. And it has to be known. There's so much competition, and it's, you have to take it quite seriously. It's terrifying. I love just it. Turn up and dick around like <laughs> I, I am. Uh, so you, you can't you can't do that anymore. I used to be allowed to do this, and you could, wouldn't be allowed. If you tried to do it in 2017, you'd be, wouldn't, you wouldn't be allowed. You've been banned, haven't I've been, you? Yeah, I'm 
because I'm a then don't let what white yeah, don't let you white have a show in a four hundred seat theatre anymore. No, no one will come and see it. No, we've been stopped. <laughs> You've been silenced, Richard. Absolutely silenced. I, I can't say the racist things I want to say oh, anymore. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Bye. Oh. That racism is bad. from against no uh, so <laughs> white people uh, it's still bad I got a lot it's, of, still it's bad. not bad actually it's good <laughs> I, I got a lot of abuse over three years ago, two years ago I made this video that was like I'm more frightened of white supremacist terrorism than yeah. I am of uh, Islamic terrorism yeah. because Islamic terrorism isn't being mainstreamed and it's not being fed to young people and it's not being subtly kind of pushed on young people and I got more abuse than I've ever got in my life for it because lots of um uh, I don't know how they describe themselves, classical liberal uh, far-right YouTubers, um, <laughs> like picked up on it. And um, at the time, I found it really, really overwhelming and I sort of had to like hide. And now I'm like sad that it's so effective because I'm like, I wish at the time I'd been like, no, fuck you, I'm right, I'm right, I'm yeah. right. Because like I just, um, it makes me so sad that it's like... In, uh, who cares? I'm, I'm talk, talking about it's like we don't all know. I'm talking about it in such a dumb way, but like uh, the fact that it's on the fringes of the comedy scene and that people seek to defend that and seek to kind of enable that. I'm like, it's so boring. Well, unfortunately, boring's the wrong word. I know, time doesn't matter. For the first time ever, a man has flashed a light at me. He's just trying to silence me. Silence me with your red light. I oh, won't be why. silenced. Sorry, the only reason I brought that up is because I had so many people telling me that I was a racist against white men. Oh, right. And I found it so hilarious because I was like, but that's not a thing. Like, <laughs> stop. It's not a thing. It is now, thanks to <laughs> me and Donald Trump <laughs> and Adolf Hitler. We finally won. Um, and on that bombshell, <laughs> where's your show on, your extra oh, show? Um, so I'm doing a show in this very venue um, at 10.30pm on next Saturday. So if you just hide under the stage for a week, <laughs> you can come for free. But please come because, um, yeah, please, please, God, please. Well, then please give a massive round of applause to the amazing Josie Longley. <laughs> You have been listening to the Hullestabat at the end of the with me, Richard Herring. Thank you to Pest for providing the music. Thank you to everyone at the Newtown Theatre and The Stand and everyone at GoFasterStrike.com. The producer is James Hingley. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz at GoFasterStrike.com production. Go to rehearsedfor.co.uk to find out more. RichardHerring.com slash gigs to find out who my guests are for the rest of the run. 